My, my, my. You guys ready for Christmas? Yeah, it's going um, to be a fun time tomorrow as we gather together at 5 p.m. We're excited about it. And, and so I married into an Italian family, and we will be eating, I don't know if we'll have all seven fish uh, for Christmas Eve, but we'll have some fish and some stuff, and it'll, it'll be fun nonetheless. And so, um, so good to be with all of you here this morning, and um, welcome you to uh, Victory Christian Center. Also want to welcome all of our friends and family watching online as well. Can we give them a Victory Christian Center Merry Christmas welcome? Welcome, guys. Thank you for tuning in. And um, we've got friends and family watching from all over. And so we're, we're so delighted that not only um, is, is God impacting those that attend on Sunday morning, but those that tune in every, every week as well. And, and we're ending a new series that we started uh, a few weeks ago. We're ending the series uh, today, uh, A Thrill of Hope, where we've been talking about hope, not the kind of hope that says, I hope I get a PS4 for Christmas, or I hope I get something that I've been wanting and wishing for, for not that kind of hope, um, not the kind of hope that says, I hope my team wins the uh, basketball game or the football game. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I really don't care. I mean, it doesn't do much for my life to improve it either for or against anyways. Not that kind of hope. It's the kind of hope that means at times life and death for people. It's the kind of hope that keeps you going in the darkest moments in life. That's the kind of hope that we're talking about. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, verse 26, in the Message Bible, it says it like this. I've pitched my tent in the land of hope. I've pitched my tent in the land of hope. Because how many know that we can pitch our tents in the land of fear or guilt or anxiety or worry or bitterness? But I choose to pitch my tent in the land of hope. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I choose to pitch my tent in the land of hope, right? Now, I'm not saying I never visit those other lands. I'm not saying I never visit worry or anxiety or doubt, but I'm not living there. I'm not building my house there, and so, and you shouldn't either, and so we, we've been talking about hope, and, and um, we're going to go ahead and, and talk uh, through a great story in the scriptures verse by verse, and And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this story in Luke chapter 8. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to to Luke chapter 8. If um, you're using a smart device, click on Luke chapter 8. We're only going to be looking at one place in the Bible this morning. I'm not asking you to turn to two different places today. Just go to Luke chapter 8. And we're going to look at a story, a very, um, very important story. And towards the end of this message, toward the end of this story that we read in Luke chapter 8, where they're then going to tie in um, the uh, part of the Christmas story to this message. I want to tie them both together, and and we'll see how that'll work towards the end of the message here today. And so in Luke chapter 8, we're going to begin there in just a moment. And in Luke 8, Jesus is about midway through his public ministry, and His disciples are already excited about everything that they've experienced um, following this man that they met uh, by the name of Jesus, who had a reputation that he was from a small town called Nazareth, and they had already experienced some very amazing things. I could only imagine being a follower of Jesus while he was here on earth, just the the kind of um, excitement and adventure that 
that these men and women that followed him lived. They had already seen him uh, multiply bread and fish into thousands and feeding thousands of people. They had already seen him heal many and cast out demons and, and raise the dead. They, they'd seen Jesus do some amazing things. They had spent time with him in private around fireside chats and, and had been with him and had, had, had an amazing experience up to this point. But Luke chapter 8 introduces us to a shift into the experience of these followers of Jesus. It's a major shift that we find in Luke chapter 8 because up to this point, everything was exciting about following Jesus. Everything was awesome about following Jesus until Luke chapter 8. And in Luke chapter 8, Jesus decides to make a move or a shift and we find ourselves in verse 22 of Luke chapter 8. The Bible says that one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Say other side. Say it again, other side. It's an important two words because Jesus comes to the disciples and says, hey fellas, we're going somewhere. Where is it, Jesus? We're going to the other side of this lake. I just want to stop by here for just a moment to encourage somebody to, to help you realize that when you started off this year, Jesus made you a promise. You're going to the other side of this year. And here we are, just one, a couple more weeks left of this year, and we need to take a moment to just praise and worship God because He's been faithful, He's been true. It may have, we may have gone through storms, we may have gone through things, but look at us, we're making it to the other side of another year. So He said to the disciples, hey fellas, we're going to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat, and the Bible says that they set out. And as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. And as he was sleeping, a squall or a storm came down on the lake, so that the boat was being swamped. It was taking on water, and they were in great danger. Let's pause there for just a moment. So, so far up to this point, the disciples were able to, they were able to trust Jesus, and he had not made yet a mistake in their eyes. He was someone uh, worthy to be trusted and followed. And they never got to the end of the day and, and said, what in the world was that? That was just too much to handle. They never, they never had experienced that yet. In fact, they would get to the end of the day and say, wow, we've never seen anything like that. Wasn't that amazing, John? Wasn't that powerful, Peter? They always ended up the day with, with stories of what they had experienced. And what's interesting is that Jesus initiates the idea of them transitioning and of where they were going. Jesus initiates this. He says, we're going to the other side, guys. The Bible says they got in a boat. And as they got into the boat on this calm, this calm day on the Sea of Galilee, these were experienced fishermen, Peter and Andrew and his brothers and some of the other fishermen that were fishermen by trade were the ones that were leading this adventure to the other side of the lake. They did their thing. And, and so the Bible says that Jesus fell asleep in the boat. You know, I find it interesting that the older I get, the easier it is for me to fall asleep. 
I mean, if the movie does not have a Hulk or a Black Panther or a Spider-Man or a Thor in it, the chances of me falling to sleep are very, very likely. In fact, I, you know, I don't know, I don't know if you know this, but, but pastors are like Santa Claus. Because we see you when you're sleeping and we know when you're awake. Oh, I know when you're sleeping. But, but see, I never call you out on it. You know why? Because I feel you. I feel you. Listen, if I was on the other side of this thing, um, I, I remember not too long ago, my wife and I, we're, we're full disclosure, sorry guys, we're, we're at a meeting and, and we don't get to sneak into the back row of a church when we go oftentimes because they know who we are. We're sitting right up front and, and you know, there was a preacher and he's preaching and and, you know, he's a good preacher, nothing wrong with the preacher, but there I am, I'm sitting in the front row, and, and, then, and then all of a sudden, it, you know, it starts creeping up on you, doesn't it? It just starts creeping up on you. It's a spirit of slumber that just works its way up the back of your legs and through your back and onto your shoulders and to the back of your neck and your head, and all of a sudden, you're just sitting there. You didn't mean to. You're just sitting there and it just creeps up on you and you find yourself just like this. And then the elbow comes from my wife. You're sleeping. No, I'm not. I'm praying. It's a spirit of intercession. It's a come on me. <laughs> because sometimes you just fall asleep. Jesus falls asleep in the boat and and, and see, the, the issue is that the beginning of the trip, sometimes in the beginning of the trip, it's smooth sailing. When you start off on your journey, it's smooth sailing. But, but, then, but then the storm happens. You know why? Because storms happen. And some of us are here today, and if you're not in the storm, it's probably because you've just left one. Or you're getting ready to enter into one. That's not negative confession, folks. That's just, that's just reality. That's just life. That's just your pastor loving you enough to let you know that in life, life is the mixture. It's full of stormy days and sunny days. There's mountains in life and there's valleys in life. But I thank God that what never changes is a God that says he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. When you're at your best, on top of the mountain, he's there. But when you're down to nothing, in the bottom of the valley, he's there as well. Go ahead and give God thanks for a God that will never leave you nor forsake you. And so if you're taking notes, I just got four quick little things I want to share with you this morning. And number one, it's that. It's that in life, storms happen. In life, storms happen. And a storm happening in your life does not indicate a failure of faith. It's not like people of great faith never go through storms. And it's also not like you've done something wrong or something bad. Because Jesus could be in your boat, in your home, in your marriage, in your life, and even with Jesus in your life, storms will happen. Because in life, storms happen. And if you ever set yourself up for a storm-free life, what you're setting yourself up for is disappointment, a letdown. And this scripture teaches us that storms are going to happen. Storms are going to happen. They're going to happen in life. 
Storms are going to happen in family. They're going to happen in your finances. They're going to happen just at the moment when you make a commitment. And I found that one of the moments that storms usually come into your life is when you make a commitment. When you make a commitment in life, when you make a commitment at your job or make a commitment to your family or in a relationship, when you make a commitment financially or to a church or to God, isn't it interesting that at the moment when you say, this is where I'm headed, that that's when a storm often happens in life, on that journey? And what's interesting is that Jesus led them in that direction. Jesus led them in that direction. Guys, we're going to the other side. And we're talking about a Jesus that knew what was going to happen. And it's interesting that Jesus, Jesus did not wake up during the storm. He didn't wake up during the storm. The disciples woke him up. And what a storm wants to scream into your life and into your world is stop. If there's anything that a storm wants to do to you is that it wants to stop you. It wants to stop your faith. It wants to stop your trust. It wants to stop your generosity or your giving. It wants to stop your hope. A storm gets introduced to your life to try to stop you. It tries to stop you. But that's why I've been challenging you to not throw in the towel, to not give up. That when you face a crisis or a challenge or a storm in life, that your hope is an anchor. And that when everything else falls away, as long as you have hope, a hope that doesn't just float, but a hope that goes deep on the inside of your heart that sustains you, that keeps you in your right mind, in that home, in that direction that God is taking you on. As long as you have hope, when a st storm screams stop, you have a God in your life that will encourage you to keep going, to not give up, to not throw in the towel because he's that good. Somebody give him praise for just a moment. Because there are storms that will so paralyze you if you let it paralyze you to move forward in life. And the Bible says in verse 24 of Luke chapter 8 that the disciples went and they woke him up saying, Master, Master, we're, we're going to drown. Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters and then the storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. What he was asking them is, where did you anchor your faith? In whom have you anchored your faith in? Where's your faith, he asked his disciples. And in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? We, we've seen them do all the other cool stuff. On land. On dry ground. We, we've seen them... We've seen them Raise the dead and cast out evil spirits of people. We, we've seen them do a lot of amazing things, but we've never seen this before. Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. And I love this because you've got to picture this. These are seasoned fishermen we're talking about here. These weren't your just, you know, weekend warriors. These were seasoned Fishermen, this was their livelihood. They knew what they were doing when they got in the boat. Seasoned fishermen that, that, that think that they're going to drown. It's not the first time they've, they've been on, on this body of water. It's not the first time a storm has come up on this water while they've been on it. But this one was different. 
this one scared them. This one put them in such a panic that they decide to wake Jesus up and say, listen, we're dying here. That's how bad it was. This one created such panic that they woke him up screaming and and scared. He wakes up and and the Bible says that Jesus sees these scared followers. Why are they scared? Here's point number two. Because it's easy to doubt in the dark what God gives you in the light. It's easy to doubt in the dark what God gives you in the light. Because so often, you and I, we get a word on dry ground. It was on dry ground that Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Hey, fellas, we're going to the other side. He didn't say, Hey, fellas, we're getting ready to go on the lake and into a storm and we'll survive it. He didn't say that. He said, We're going to the other side. And sometimes God will speak something about your future and leave out the details of disaster that are part of the journey so that you can rest assured in what he said and not what's coming. So that you can put your trust and faith and hope in Christ and not in circumstances. Fellas, we're going to the other side. And here they are confronted by the storm in the midst of a word from God. In the midst of what he told them was going to happen. But here they were stuck in a storm. Because sometimes it's easy to doubt in the dark what God gives you in the light. What happens when my faith starts taking on water? What happens when, when, when my faith and what, where, where God has me starts taking on, on, on water? See, see, because in a prophetic community, in a prophetic community like Victory Christian Center is, There are moments in life where we receive a word from God of where he's taking us. I mean, I remember when I got ordained. I remember in the Life Center. I remember David Cartledge laying hands on me and Tommy Reed, Bishop Tommy Reed laying hands on me and Bishop David Thomas laying hands on me and my wife. You know what that was? That was dry ground. That was smooth sailing. That was the highlight in life. That was a moment that as they were laying hands on me, I felt good. It was a promise of God. I'm going to use your life. I'm going to take you somewhere, son. We're going to the other side. And, then, and, then, and that was good. Everything was great. What I received from God at that moment, I needed Because I was going to enter a journey where there would be storms and there would be valleys. And I needed to go back to those moments of what God said so that I can have an anchor of hope in what he said, not what my circumstances were saying. Because sometimes, oftentimes, what God speaks to you in dry ground and in the, the lighter moments of life, You are often introduced to circumstances that are completely contradictory to what was spoken into your life. And you see this pattern throughout Scripture. Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. Here's a barren wife. And we begin to doubt in the dark what God speaks in the light. But the good news for these terrified disciples was that Jesus was in the boat. The Bible says that he gets up and he settles everything down with a shh. If you do a little study in the Greek, in the Greek, the, the picture that the Greek uh, language paints, it, it's like whenever you walk into a room with a bunch of crazy kids and you just say, 
settle down everybody. That's what this was. Jesus gets up and he just calmed down. But the story doesn't end there. Because remember, he said, the other side. And in verse 26 of Luke chapter 8, the Bible says that they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. And when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. And if you read the, the account of this man's life, it's an account of, of being ravished and controlled and manipulated by evil spirits, by demons. He, he would, no one was able to control him. He would not only hurt himself and cut himself, but he would hurt others. This is a man that if you were to see him, you would think that there was something psychologically wrong with him, that he needed to, to be instituted, that he, he, needed, um, he needed medication. But what it was, was he was under the influence and possession of demons. And the Bible says that this is who they ran into. And here's what's so interesting about Luke chapter 8. I don't know if you're catching this, but Luke chapter 8 is not about a storm. Luke chapter 8 is not about a trip across the Sea of Galilee and them facing a storm or a lake. It's not about what's on the other side of the lake. It's about who's on the other side of the lake. And see, if your life has purpose, if your life has purpose, I, I think this is one of the reasons why when suffering is introduced to our to our human experience, one of the reasons we have trouble with suffering is, is because there, we, we don't see the purpose of it. But if, if, you, if you live a life of purpose, if you live a life understanding that God has a plan for you, and it's a plan to, 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 to bless you and not to harm you, a plan to give you hope and a future, that life has purpose, that it has meaning, because you, you, you will understand if the, if the disciples knew who was on the other side of this lake, who was on the, on the other side of this storm, they would have gone through the storm with purpose. Because listen to me, someone was on the other side of this storm. If you're taking notes, write this one down. This is number three. There's always someone on the other side of your miracle. There's always someone on the other side of your miracle. This chapter was not about a storm. This chapter is not about scared followers. This chapter is not about scared disciples. This chapter is about a God who saw a man on the other side of the lake that needed an encounter with him. Because listen, listen to me carefully. As good as you think that I am, I cannot help you. There's nothing that I can do for you or anyone watching me online. Whatever you're going through, I can't help you. 
I don't have the stuff to be able to help you with your addictions and with your loneliness and with your brokenness. I could be empathetic. I could be sympathetic. I can do the best that I can, but my efforts only come so far. But I know somebody who can help you with your brokenness. I know somebody who can deal with your addictions. His name is Jesus. And when Jesus shows up, everything else has to back up. And he's good. And he's always right on time. Somebody give him praise for just a moment. Come on. Let's just take a praise break for Jesus for just a moment. There's always someone on the other side of your miracle. On the shoreline of your breakthrough, there are people in need of hope and healing. My point is this. God didn't save Pastor Juan just to save Pastor Juan. God didn't save you, Isaiah, just to save you, Isaiah. But he knew that on the other side of saving you, there was someone that needed to encounter the Jesus in you, the God in you. And so he saves you not in a vacuum, but he saves you with purpose. He saves you with a future in mind. He saves you because he knows that in saving you, he can take you across a storm and through a storm and through a lake because there's somebody waiting for you on the other side of your miracle. Your setbacks are often God's setup for someone's miracle. Many of you have heard my, my family's story about how my dad was a full-blown alcoholic and drug addict and our family was on the verge of being torn apart by by the storms of life a drug addicted dad an alcoholic dad and many of you've heard that story of how friends that my parents used to party with they met Jesus they got born again and then they they started they started inviting my parents to church my dad wanted nothing to do with church wanted nothing to do with church my mom said yes and she came to church and she gave her life to Jesus and she went from being a depressed, broken, lonely woman that started to drink herself to drown out the sorrow and the pain of an alcoholic husband and father to her children. She went from being that to being a woman that now was believing God for the salvation of her husband and of her family and of her marriage and of her home. And she began praying for my dad and inviting him to church. And he wanted nothing to do with church. But then one Sunday, my my mom tells my dad that, listen, church is going to be a little bit different this day. There's, it's not going to be a normal church service. There's a trio coming. And they're going to be playing some very familiar uh, style of music that we're used to from, from our island of Puerto Rico. The, 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 the musical group is called Trio Elim. Three guys with guitars, big mustaches, thick accents, but an anointing. So many of you know the story of how when my dad finally looked at my mom and said, I'm going to church with you once, this is it, only one time. And he comes to that little church in Manhattan in New York City, right near um, uh, Times Square, there on 9th Avenue. And my dad walks into that church with alcohol still reaping 
uh, through his pores um, from, from drinking not only the night before, but even that morning, Puerto Rican Bacardi rum. He walks in half sober, and in the back row, this trio begins to play, and I don't know what happened, but something that they sang, something that they said, more than that, a Jesus that was waiting for my dad on the shoreline of this small Hispanic church in Manhattan, something when the altar call was given for people to give their lives to Jesus. My dad, I don't know how many else were there who made this decision, but I know one for sure. It was Juan Rivera Sr. As he made his way down the aisle and gave his life to Jesus at an altar, his sins were forgiven. He was delivered of alcoholism and drug addiction, and his body was healed from the ravages of the abuse that he had put on his body, all in one moment. The best that the world can, can do for you is once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. But Jesus always ones up that because he who the sun sets free is free indeed. Come on, somebody. And so you know what my daddy is doing this morning? He's not attending a meeting with 10 steps. He is pastoring his church, preaching the gospel that saved him. He's preaching the Jesus that set him free, that forgave him, that healed his body. That's what he's doing this morning. But what you don't know is the rest of the story. What you don't know is that after some time, I, you know, just a number of years ago, I was able to connect with the leader of that trio. His name is Ephraim. Ephraim Vega. Ephraim Vega. And I said, Ephraim, tell me about that Sunday when you first met my mom and dad. And he told me, he said, Juan, he said, you know, that was a very, very difficult weekend. He said, that weekend there were some things that were happening in my family. Um, my, my children were not in a good place, and my car had broken down. We were getting ready to call the pastor of that church and say, we're canceling. This is New York City. And, 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 you know, they had no transportation, no vehicle, but they got in their car. The stuff that he was going through in his own home. What am I saying? He was going through a storm that he had to press through, a storm that said stop. A storm that said just give in, don't go, don't do it. You're just singing songs anyways. Stop here. You've got issues in your own family. But he pressed through that storm and little did he know that on the other side of that storm he would find a man. And that, you see what I'm saying? That there was somebody on the other side of that storm waiting for a miracle. Because you and I don't live our lives in a vacuum. And I thought about, I thought about the storm. The storm that Jesus was born into. The political storm that he was born into, the mess. If you think it's messy now in the Middle East and in that little place that we call Israel, the mess that we were in in that Roman outpost 2,000 years ago with, with crazed politicians, with, 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 with politicians that were murdering babies and incest and, and sleeping with with someone so's wife and the murder, and it was horrendous, the geopolitical climate of the, of the moment that Jesus was born into. When you think about the storm politically and economically that Jesus was born into, when you think of the storm that was introduced to a young guy named Joseph who had just decided to make this woman his wife, 
only to have her come to him and say, I know we've never been together, but I'm with child. And I promise you I've not been with a man. But what's in me is from God. The storm that this man must have been introduced to, the storm that this young lady must have had when, whenever she had that vision with the angel called Gabriel that God was placing his son in her womb. And, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what those first few weeks were like for her. I don't know. I don't know if she woke up every morning thinking, was that real? And then all of a sudden, a few weeks later, things that normally happen on schedule every month just don't, didn't happen. And she's showing a bump, and it's real. And she doesn't understand it because she's never been with a man, and now she's got to break the news to this good guy. It's a storm. But have you ever thought about the storm that Joseph and Mary had to go through? And why? And here's where we find ourselves in the story. It had to be hard. Because we find ourselves in the story when we begin to understand that on the other side of that storm was not only the miracle of Jesus, but on the other side of the storm that Mary and Joseph went through, just in the same way that Ephraim Vega went through, that on the other side of the storm, 2,000 years later, there would be a room full of people, and you were worth it. You were on the other side of the storm of a Mary and a Joseph. They had to go through that storm so that you and I can have an opportunity to say yes to the baby that was growing in that womb. And here we are today, benefactors of a storm that a man and a woman went through 2,000 years ago to introduce Jesus to a world. We were on the other side of that lake because there's always somebody on the other side of your miracle. Finishing up in verse 38 of Luke 8. The Bible says that the man from whom the demons had gone out, because Jesus cast out the demons, the best that the world has to offer us is cope. Jesus teaches no one how to cope. He sets people free. And the Bible says that from whom the demons had gone out, this man got set free from his demons. He'd gone out and begged to go with Jesus, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell everybody how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. You know, when we look at the, the spreading of the gospel message of Jesus, when we look at the key players, the men and women that paid a price so that you and I can be here today, we often think of people like the Apostle Paul and Peter and John, the giants of the faith. And boy, we can just name so many. So many. As I was reading this, I thought about the giants of the faith, and we often talk about, like, you know, when we get to heaven and we actually get to meet these people. You know, we want to talk to Abraham, we want to talk to Isaac, we want to talk to some of the key Old Testament figures, or we want to sit down with a Paul and, and with a John and with a Peter. Obviously, everybody wants to talk to Jesus, but, and, and that, that's a given. But I thought about this man. 
And I thought how interesting it would be to sit down with this guy who the demons have been cast out of his life. He's a no-name, the person that we don't know his name, we don't know the rest of the story. But I thought about the people like him that we don't, we, we don't know their name, we don't know their story. But they're people that God used to share the gospel throughout the world because the Bible says he went back to, ta- to his town and there were ten cities in that general area. And here we have this no-named guy who, who he, his only story was Jesus cast demons out of me. I was crazy and out of my mind until I met Jesus. He goes into this community to talk about a man named Jesus Christ who sets people free, who's the Messiah. And I thought about sitting down with this guy and first of all say, man, what's your name? And tell me the rest of the story. What happened when you went back home? How did it go for you? Because most of us that God uses are, are no-name people that we don't have a reputation in the world, but God uses. And, and here's my last point, that there are people who need to hear your storm stories. Jesus told this guy, don't, don't, don't come with me. You don't need to sign up for Bible college with the fellas. You, you don't need to go to, 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 to the school of Jesus. Here's all you need to do. Go back to your world and tell them about the storm and the hell that God brought you out of. How do I do that, Jesus? Just tell them what your life was like before you met me and then tell them what your life was like after you met me. That's all you need to know. Because there are people in our world who need to hear our storm stories. You know what I love about that? I love that because that's where you and I get to grab the thing that the devil wanted to defeat us with and kill us with and push us down with, we get to use that very same thing and we get to beat hell back in people's lives. We get to see God use it. We get to see God do great things through what you went through to see somebody else get their breakthrough and get their miracle and come to Jesus because what the enemy meant to kill you and take you out, God will use it to set somebody else free. Somebody take a praise break for just a moment because God's just that good. And here's what I've learned. Everybody's got a storm story. Everybody's got a storm story. There's somebody on the other side of your trial, of your storm. My dad was on the other side of Ephraim's storm that weekend. But he pressed through. And I'm so glad he did. You know, Ephraim pressing through that storm... Not only set free a demon-possessed man in, in my father, but I think about the people that said yes to Jesus this year. I think about the people that over, I don't know how many it was, 50, 100 people that got born again on Easter Sunday this year here at Victory Christian Center, Coitsville. And, and, and it goes all the way back to Ephraim pushing through a storm to get to the other side of the city to find a man named Juan Rivera and give that man an opportunity to encounter Jesus. And Ephraim pushing through that storm that weekend, there is just a domino effect that happens. 
This year, people have said yes to Jesus. You think that it's my ingenuity or my preaching. It has very little to do with any of that. People are getting born again and experience miracles and breakthrough because throughout history, people have pushed through storms and they've gone through things so that you and I can be here today and have an opportunity to say yes to Jesus and to have a hope and to have, have a Savior that will never leave us nor forsake us. And so here's my challenge to you this morning and this, this week. If you're going through a storm, Place your trust in Jesus. When Jesus asked his disciples, where's your faith? It wasn't an indictment on them as to whether or not they had faith or not, but what he was asking them is, where did you place your faith? What are you trusting in, is what he was asking his disciples. Where's your trust? Where's your hope? If you're going through a storm, place your trust in Jesus. Or secondly, if you've gone through a storm, here's my challenge to you. If you've gone through a storm, there's somebody who needs to hear your storm story. How's that work? Just find someone in your world that's going through something that's difficult and that won't be hard. And tell them what it was like before you met Jesus. And then what it was like after you met Jesus. And don't take out all the crazy parts. Leave it in. Don't just give the high moments. Leave it all in. Tell them about the struggle. Tell them about the doubt. Tell them about the unbelief. Tell them about how you still struggle. Tell them about how, how it's still difficult. But God, tell them about how you can go to bed at night and have an assurance that when you wake up in the morning, that there's a God in heaven that promised you he'll never leave you nor forsake you. You may often feel like it, but how many thank God that we don't walk by feelings, we walk by faith and not by sight, not by what we see or feel, we walk by faith. That there's an anchor to your life. So if you're going through a storm, trust Jesus. If you've gone through a storm, tell somebody, who needs to hear your storm story. Let's all stand to our feet as we close this morning. I'm going to invite my wife to come, and I want to invite all of our prayer team to come as well, if our prayer team can come. Here's what we're going to do with everyone just standing, and please don't leave just yet. We're going to close in just a moment. And here's how we're going to do this. In just a few seconds, my wife and I, we're going to pronounce a blessing over you. And then at the end of that blessing, we're going to scoot out and, and make it out to the Welcome Center right outside these doors. And so if we've never met you before, we'd love to meet you. If it's been a long time that we've had a chance to say hi, we'd love to say hi. We'll be at the Welcome Center. But at the end of this blessing, we're going to give any person that needs prayer for any reason an opportunity to receive prayer. You don't have to be a member of Victory Christian Center to receive prayer. You don't have to be a bad person to receive prayer. Because we all need prayer. I need prayer. You need prayer. So if you need prayer for any reason, any reason at all, at the end of this blessing, we just want you to leave your seat and join all the others that will be coming down and receive prayer from somebody on our prayer team. If you're here and you're far from Jesus, maybe you're going through the storm. And your challenge is to put your trust in Jesus, but you don't have a relationship with him, 
that's something that can be changed this morning. All you would need to do is get out of your seat. We saw it happen last week. Our children ministered. Our children's pastor ministered last week, last Sunday. And there was somebody in the congregation, in the audience, that at the end of that, that message, with the kids on stage, at the end of that message, when they were given an opportunity, they came down and they told someone here at the, on the prayer team, I, my next step is to begin a relationship with Jesus. And they prayed a prayer with him and, and showed him what his next step was for that to, to be able to happen. So if you're here today and that's you, you're far from God, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you just get out of your seat and you join all those others in just a moment and come down and tell somebody here at the altar that your next step is to begin a relationship with Jesus and they'll pray with you and, and help you do that. So keep your eyes open as we bless you today. Friends and family of Victory Christian Center, we bless you. We bless you to be people that are storm ready, that are fierce in hope, that are strong in faith, that don't give up or quit or throw in the towel or run or stop when things get tough or difficult or hard, that you would be people that live life with purpose, that go through life with purpose and meaning, people that see others on the other side of whatever it is that you're going through, and not only experience the miracle of being saved and the miracle of God getting you through the storm, but you see and experience the miracle of others encountering Jesus and being set free themselves. We bless you on this Christmas season to be safe as you travel, to enjoy and create meaningful memories with your family and with your friends. We bless you that as you leave here, that you would experience Jesus' victories in your life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Merry Christmas. We'll see you tomorrow evening at 5 p.m. God bless you.